So we have different, we go through phases <clears throat> in the teaching here. I mean, sometimes we do, I do series, deep, deep teaching, sometimes controversial. Sometimes we do philosophical, psychological, uh, self-improvement. Sometimes we just like get down to business with the Torah. After all, we are a Messianic Jewish synagogue and the Torah is kind of an important big deal here for what we do. And there's a lot of overlap in those three categories, I realize. But right now, I've just been enjoying going through the Torah and bringing some insight each week. It's absolutely remarkable, though, which I think if you remember the songs that they played, I actually didn't even know that they were doing music today. So we certainly didn't have any discussion about the music. But everything that they did, even down to what Lance said, uh, is all related to this bit of Torah that I want to share with you today. Now, when we talk about the Torah, though, there's something important. First of all, I know that everyone, of course, read the Torah portion this week. Everyone in the room, without fail, sat down and read Truma, the Torah portion. Okay, so you could come up and give the message, I'm sure. How many people read the No, I'm not. <laughs> Listen, it's important to read the Torah portion if we're talking about the Torah. Whether or not I was talking about the Torah or not, it's still important that you read the Torah portion because you get new things out of that. But, you know, it's not really, and, and Torah portion cards, we have Torah portion cards. If you're online, firstrootsofzion.torahportions.org, you can get to download that and have it. There's a great way to easily track where we are. But it's in, in, in that time, it's not just reading words. You, you need to like ponder. You need to invest some time in doing a reading. Identify some things that are meaningful to you. Take time to, if you have questions, if things are confusing, dig into those. Get yourself a highlight reel, mental or written down, of what you read in the Torah portion. Make it exciting. Not just, okay, read that, got that done, on to the next thing. Think through the text. Read some commentary. We talked about a few weeks ago, awakening the dawn, using that special moment you have in the morning with God and with the Word to, to invest some energy and, and get your day started with something that you can use. And the Torah is full of stuff like that. And of all the portions, if you have not done that to date... Now's the time, investing in study and reading. And of all the portions you could pick, <laughs> right, Paul? You couldn't get a better and more exciting Torah portion to start with. Say it after me. Truma. 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 It means donations. It means offerings okay so i want to hit you after that promotion that i gave you for torah i want to give you some highlights for what you are what is waiting for you when you jump into this week's study you shall make curtains of goat hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make them. The length of a single curtain, thirty cubits, and the width of a single curtain, four cubits. The same measure for the eleven curtains. You shall attach five of the curtains separately and six of the curtains sep. See? 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 
As for the extra overhang of the curtains of the tent, half of the extra curtain shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. You shall make a cover for the tent. I mean, you shall make 50 hooks of copper. You shall bring the hooks into the loops and attach the tent so that it shall become one. Are you guys exploding with energy yet? My goodness, you should be. You shall make an altar of acacia wood. It talks about the menorah and it says you shall make this thing out of one talent. 26 verse 26. I mean, just an abundance of richness here. Believe me, the excitement continues because for the next 14 chapters of the Torah, except for one little detour with the shiny golden cow, 26 through chapter 40, we are going to be talking about this. Let me just hear it. Yes! I know, I feel it. I really do. Poles, sockets, clasps, curtains, cubits, frames, and how to put it all together. Are you excited? Please, guess what? Guess what? Most people could care less. Maybe some of you in the room. I don't know. But like censuses and sacrifices, these things are to a large degree why the Torah gets completely disregarded and skipped over. Listen, I love the Torah when you're telling me about flooding the earth or God pouring sulfur out of the sky and turning people into pillars of salt or Jacob wrestling with an angel or the angel of death flying around and taking out Egyptian babies because they were mean. Large bodies of water parting and people walking through. That stuff is cool. But curtains of goat hair and brass rings. I get it. I get it. But remember what I told you about thinking through the text, not just reading. Sometimes, you, sometimes questions emerge as you read through. And I had a big question emerge for me as I was reading through this material this week. Why, God? Why, in the most important book that exists, in a book that we are to govern our lives by, why the attention to this exhaustive explanation and detail? It's like reading someone else's junk mail. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm saying it's like reading something that has absolutely no relevance to you. And I ask God, why? I mean, we have books in the library about the temple and the tabernacle, and there are unbelievable commentaries and opinions and connections and all kinds of things that Judaism has made through the years. David, I'm sure, will probably be conducting an exhaustive study on the clasps, the poles, the hooks, and, and that like on the deepest level, the, the, the esoteric interpretation, the tabernacle is really just a picture of the universe and all the compartments and how things come together is like how the world is supposed to be. All that. Okay, I get it. But when I tell you to sit down and read this, how are you supposed to get anything out of this? Why, God? Why so much information? But there is an answer. And it is beneath the surface, and it starts with this word. 
this phrase, this sentence, Ve'asuli, and they shall make me mikdash shechanti betocham, a tabernacle where I will dwell among them. That's what it says in 25.8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now listen, they had met God just a while back. Israel I'm talking about. The Hebrews on Sinai in thunder and fire and blasts of shofar. And you remember how that went? They were, God's talking and they hear this and, 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 and they, it's an awesome spectacle. And what did Israel say? Moses, you talk to him. We don't want to. We're scared. That's what it says. Not literally. You speak with us, Moses, so we may listen, but let not God speak with us or else we'll die. And now, guess what? God's coming to dinner. Actually, he's staying for a while. Bitocham, he's going to dwell in them. Next week, you know, it's like, a, it's like a family having some special guests come in and everybody's preparing for the guests to arrive, setting the table in a particular way. And in this instance, buddy, you better know what you're setting the table for because God's coming to town. Next week in the Torah portion, we'll read, I shall meet there with the children of Israel. It will be made holy through my glory. This is obvious, I know. But primarily, the presence of God would dwell, was going to tent with them there. Shechanti, to dwell. That is the denominative form of the word mishkan, tabernacle. Travis talked about the mishkan. It's the tabernacle, Shechanti, to dwell, God's tenting place on earth. And you better know the gravity of that. They, they, them, not you. Okay? But the question we're asking here is why so much information? Now, here's a point of reference. This is a point of disconnection for everyone in this room regarding Truma and everyone in the world, everyone in the church, everywhere. We have absolutely no concept in our world of an idea of God's presence actually coming in and dwelling in a holy space. You don't know what that means. We talked about it in Hebrews, in the Hebrew series that we did. Yeah, people talk about, oh, I sense the presence of God, or in my personal prayer time, I felt God. But that's not what this is talking about. You have no concept of what it means for God's Shekhinah, also from the word Shekhanti, that dwelling word, for God's presence to come into a space and stay there. The holy God creator of the universe. Do you have any concept of that? Have you ever approached that kind of holy ground? Do you have any connection to what that terror would be like. That's why they were scared, because God is an awesome God, and he's a jealous God, and he's supremely powerful. And so quite simply put, point one, you need exhaustive details on how to construct a space where the holy presence of God would dwell. And that is a literal statement. God said, I'm coming to dwell there. Okay? That's a big deal. Huge deal. But point two, which is actually maybe 
more important <clears throat> is that and it's, it's a little less obvious, and this requires some commentary and thought, but I want to ask this question. Where had, where had the Hebrews, where had Israel just been for a number of years prior to what's happening? We are at this point two months out of where? Egypt. Slaves in Egypt. Okay? Not very long ago. They are there. <clears throat> and let's recall what Egypt was. Egypt was a polytheistic, nature-worshipping cult where Israel had been enslaved. They had many, many gods. They had nature gods. And, and Israel had been exposed to those gods. And according to Jewish tradition, had been heavily influenced by those gods. So much to the point that Israel, which came in some centuries before, had now descended to the bottom barrel of idolatrous and corrupt living to a large degree. They had become idolaters, sort of, because they were so influenced by the culture. Now, <clears throat> if, you, if you can think back now, as we have Passover, then we go 50 days to Shavuot, right? What's that called? It's a, hol it's a commandment. You shall count up, count the Omer, right? 50 days. And again, by Jewish tradition, that particular period of time was m incredibly important for Israel coming out of Egypt because they were here in the spiritual realm, idolaters, fallen. Now they're coming out. They're going from Egypt to the height, to Mount Sinai. And so each of that 50-day journey was a washing. It was an ascension of spirituality. That's why we don't count the Omer down. We count up the Omer. It recalls the spiritual ascent from idolater to those prepared to meet God at Mount Sinai and receive His Word. You with me? We ascend, but you, they, were, they were about to connect, even in the midst of all the godlessness and false gods, they were about to meet the God of the universe. But you have to understand, the acknowledgement that other gods, and Lance mentioned this, the acknowledgement that other gods existed is absolutely true, not just in the Torah and the ancient Near East, but in the New Testament. That's still very real, and that's a, that's a really incredible thing to dig into, which we're not going to right now, but other gods existed. They had power and influence in the world. That was absolutely part of the thinking. That is why the plagues of Egypt attacked particular Forces of nature that had a God ruling over them. Ra, the God of the sun and different things. God was speaking against those particular gods. They were influential. The weather, the sun, livestock. And this is why we say this prayer all the time. Who is like you? What? Among the gods. 
That's what they sang on the other side of the Sea of Reeds. Micha Mocha, who is like you among all of the gods that we know? All of the gods that we know. And in essence, at this point, remember, they had been surrounded by that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, there were some pillars along the way. But by now they were down, influenced by God's coming up, but they had met God again in Egypt. They had met him at Mount Sinai. They had agreed to the terms of the marriage covenant. And remember, they were idolatrous in a certain kind of way. And here's the interesting thing about the reason that Rambam says the tabernacle existed. That the tabernacle was the singular refutation of idolatry that they had become accustomed to in Egypt. Let me unpack that briefly. The main purpose of the tabernacle was the final blow to any consideration of idolatry or elevation of other gods. The main purpose was to wean the Israelites from idolatrous worship and turn them toward God. Meaning, this space, these instructions, all of this, this space is God's very, very, very serious uh, uh, confirmation of the number one commandment that he said to them at Mount Sinai. What was it? What's the first commandment? You, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay? I know that's confusing, but I promise I'll make it make sense. You shall not bow to them. You shall not serve them because I, Hashem, Adonai, am a jealous God. The first commandment, the first thing he says after Egypt, after the counting of the Omer, after they come from idolatry to Mount Sinai, the first thing he said is, no other gods, just me. And according to Rambam, which I agree with, the refutation of serving all other gods, this physical manifestation of one God was going to take place in this one place where they were going to construct a home for God to dwell in their midst. Do you understand the gravity of what he's explaining for them to do? There is one God to be served, but unlike anything you've ever seen before Israel, especially in Egypt, where there were gods, goddesses, temples on every corner, I will be served in this one place. In other words, the tabernacle is the practical statement and illustration of the, the concept that Israel brought to the world. Monotheism. One God. No other gods before me. One God in one place. And Rabbi Hertz, uh, he, he says, I'll just read it because it's very well stated. The sanctuary and its ritual occupy so large a place both in the Torah and in the life of ancient Israel because they formed part of the divine scheme in molding the chosen people for its spiritual mission. This building, this tent with, yes, all its clasps and wood and dyes and 
techelet and all, you know, skins. This is really where monotheism started. A refutation. Now you say Abraham and all that, but I'm talking about as a nation called to worship one God. That is a huge historical event. And now, though, we can read those other texts that I read above. Remember that I was making fun of about there being one tabernacle? Of course, literally, when, the, when it says, and you shall make 50 clasps of gold and connect the curtains each to its sister piece with the clasps, and the tabernacle shall be one. In 25, and you shall make 50 clasps of bronze and bring the clasps into the loops and connect the tent and it will be one. And the menorah will be crafted from one talent of gold. We find under the surface the spiritual theme of oneness, of Shema Yisrael Adonai Echad demonstrated in this tabernacle. Now, the basic understanding is, of course, when you put all the pieces together, the tabernacle will be connected. But that's not fun. That's not, that's, there's nothing insightful about that. How about this little midrash? 50, right? He talks about 50 clap, 50 rings. 50 days between Pesach and Shavuot. 50 days of ascension between idolatry to monotheism and 50 clasps that connect the curtains that will make God's dwelling place. The one God in one place and the tabernacle and God will be one. It's all about one. That's the message God needed them to get through the tabernacle. There are many other things, but to conclude this, remember, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. The supreme God chose the people, gave them a way to direct interaction with him through this space on earth. It was a tent. It was a tent. It was mobile. It was meant to travel, meaning God would go with them, but only in one particular place. The 14 or 13 chapters of information we get that tells you how to Make it, set it up, tear it down, work in it, travel in it. This is the connection that God made with Israel. It gets 13 or so chapters of biblical real estate because it was the channel to God. Shema Yisrael, as I said, they needed to do it right. And understand one other important thing about this overlooked and underappreciated tent. We tend to focus a lot of attention on the temple. Like this little shabby little tent thing, that was just for then. The, the temple's where it's really at. And we're used to the temple because we find Yeshua in the temple and it's in the Gospels and all that. And we kind of know a few things about it. But really, the end point of the tabernacle was clearly, we want to build this, this, this tent, this uh, temple. And David sort of said as much, didn't he? David said, I've lived in this amazing house and, and you've lived in a tent. God, I'm going to build you a house. He actually said, see, now I live in a house of cedar, but the ark of God remains within the tent. And so he gets the idea, and Nathan says to him, go ahead, David, go, go build the house. But in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. 
This is what the Lord says. You, Nathan, you go say this to David. Should you build me a house for my dwelling? For I've not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. Rather, I have been moving about in a tent, that is, in a dwelling place. And he concludes, and he says, wherever, wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel? When did I ever say, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God wasn't really interested in that. God liked the tent, which is why he told them how to build it in 13 and a half chapters. Furthermore, God's son, God's son, did you know? Son of God uh, was used as a term for kings. Solomon David was a son of God. Solomon was a son of God. They had that anointed status as kings. But Solomon did build a house for God. First Kings 8, Solomon assembled the elders and, and, and the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers, households of the son, and so on. All these people, it was a big deal. And all the men, have assembled, all the men assembled themselves before King Solomon at the feast in the month of Etanim, that is the seventh month. Then all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. Do you know what they brought into the first temple? What parts of the tabernacle made it into the first temple? One is very obvious, I just said it. The ark, right? And, and some of the holy furnishings from the tabernacle were there, right? And guess what else? The furnishings, yeah, those. But, but something else really big made it into the first temple. That, that's a good point, and this what I'm going to tell you is what came in. The entire tabernacle from the wilderness came in to the first temple. Did you know that? They brought the whole thing in, not just the ark, not just the menorah, not just the table of showbread. Listen. Then all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and all the holy utensils which were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. What? The whole tabernacle was in the temple? Yes, it was. Here's what the Talmud says in Sota 9a. When the first temple was built, the tent of meeting was sequestered, including its boards, its clasps, and its bars. There they are again. They're still caring about these details, about clasps and bars. They were brought in, its boards, its clasps, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets, my favorite. The Gemara asks, where is it sequestered? Rav Hizda says that Avimi says, Beneath the tunnels of the sanctuary. Is that not the coolest thing? But why? Why did they bring that into this? T they had this elaborate, awesome temple now. Why bring the tabernacle? Because it housed the very presence of God. Everything that was commanded to do before the tabernacle could be done in full confidence at the first temple because the tabernacle was there. Do you understand that? 
This is how important this construction and process and making this right was. It was going to go with them even into the place where God would set his name. I love that. And listen to Solomon's words on the day of that dedication. Solomon stood before the altar, right? The altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. He spread out his hands toward heaven and he said, Lord God of Israel, Ein Kamocha, there is no God like you in heaven above or on the earth beneath. Do you see the connection? It's the same question that Israel asked. It's the answer, actually, to the question they asked. Who is like you among the gods? God said, nobody is. And here's where I dwell. And here's how you build it. And they took it with them to the temple. And Solomon says, we get it. One. Echad. Ein kamocha. There is no God like you. That theme of monotheism that started in the tabernacle and goes, sadly and unfortunately, the, the, the after the destruction of the first temple, we lose it. It's gone. The, 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 the rabbis basically stop talking about it. It was this tent that took so much time to explain in the Torah that actually sanctified that house, God's ancient channel to the people. All the laws, you know, everything was still in accordance, but according to rabbinic tradition, the tabernacle disappeared from the Bible after that destruction, and so did the Shekhinah from the holy space of the temple. Rambam talks about that. Yoma talks about it in the Talmud. They tell us that the presence of God was in the first temple, but not the second temple. So without this very important piece of fabric and rings and sockets, we sort of lost the presence of God. It's pretty important. It's pretty important. The temple was called the house, but in the house was the tent. And the tent declared that God is one. Monotheism through a structure. He is above all gods. There is no God like him. It's pretty important. That's why there's so much information. And, and you can see why it needed to be done right, right? You see why the Torah talks about it. And, but, but you also see that if you don't know the context and culture and history of this book and the Jewish people, Jewish tradition, Jewish commentary, Jewish understanding, you miss so much. You miss it. And granted, as you read through the clasps and the rings and the goat hair and the furnishings, you can miss stuff like that, but that's why we don't read. We study. We seek out, right? Okay, fine, cool. But how does any of that make your life better? Knowing that is just like information. How does that make your life better? How does that have anything to do with us? There are no temples today. How in the world do we apply these things? How do we make this relevant? Well, if I'm getting the message properly, I will explain. Next week. (laughs) Shabbat Shalom. Let's stand up together.